What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the show. Today's goal is going to be to answer the question, how long should my mesocycle be? We're gonna talk about what is a mesocycle. We're gonna talk a little bit about why we need to deload. I'll give you guys my general recommendation in terms of answering this question. There's also really loud thunder, so if that comes in the, the podcast, so be it. Um, we'll talk about what my general recommendation is and why. We'll talk about exceptions to that rule or exceptions to that recommendation. We will talk about applying this recommendation to the individual and how you can be a little bit more specific, what questions to ask. We'll talk through the pros and cons of pre-planning deloads versus auto-regulating them. And then I'll give you guys my general take on things. So let's start with what is a mesocycle? Essentially a mesocycle is a word to describe the consecutive weeks of hard training prior to a deload or in combination with a deload. And so a mesocycle is usually something like, and we'll talk about this, four to eight weeks of hard training and then a deload. You combine those two things, that is your mesocycle. Now, why do we need a deload? Again, this is not going to be a super in-depth podcast on deloading, but it is a part of your mesocycle and it is kind of what generally separates two mesocycles. And so we do need to touch on it a little bit. So why do we need to, de to deload? Very broadly, the more you do the same thing, the more consecutive weeks of hard training with the same program, the threshold to make adaptations to that stimulus goes up. And so over time, what we need to do is occasionally take a step back and resensitize. And so if you've been doing four to eight weeks of the same program, you start to become a bit sensitized uh, to the, or desensitized to that stimulus. And we need to take a step back or a step laterally to kind of resensitize to that training stimulus. The second reason is the same hard training that brings the adaptations you want also brings fatigue. I mean, the kind of training that is hard enough to cause adaptations is hard enough to cause fatigue. And that fatigue accumulates over consecutive weeks of hard training. And occasionally we need to take a step back and clean the slate and start again in terms of dropping fatigue. So the two main reasons that we are deloading is to drop fatigue and to resensitize to the training stimulus. Now, what is my general recommendation in terms of how long should your mesocycle be? Well, I think most people would be generally in agreement that something like four to eight weeks of consecutive hard training and then a deload is a good baseline sweet spot for almost everybody, right? Um, and so you'll train for four to hard weeks and then you will take a deload. During that deload, you'll drop fatigue, resensitize, and you will assess if anything in your program needs changing and then obviously you keep going. Now. Four to eight weeks is a big range. So what we're gonna talk about, and we're gonna break down this general recommendation, we're gonna talk about why is this such a big range? And it's important to say, okay, why is this such a big range? And why did we pick these specific numbers? Like why not three weeks? Why not nine weeks? And then within this kind of wide range, how do we narrow it down? And should I be pre-planning the length of my mesocycle or should I just be kind of taking it as it comes? So those are the questions we're gonna answer. And we're gonna start with the first one, which is why is this such a big range? Right? Why is I mean, four to eight is literally could be double the length. And so how do we get this huge range? And that's because the amount of time that you can train before needing a deload is going to depend on so many different factors. And so when we have so many moving parts, the potential, the, the potential way, uh, range widens. And so some of the factors that might go into how many consecutive weeks you can withstand training before needing a deload are you know, how many times a week you're training? Like, it's pretty simple. If you're training twice a week, you might never need to deload. If you're training four times a week, it's likely you'll need a deload. And so the more often you are training, that is one factor. 
what type of training you're doing is relevant. Uh, and this is, you know, a bit outside of the scope of most of these podcasts, but let's say you're doing, um, you know, programming that is really heavy on metabolic damage. That might be a program that you don't want to run for, you know, many, many weeks in a row. That might be a slightly shorter mesocycle. If you're doing metabolic training or, you know, mechanotransduction stuff. And again, that's not necessarily something that the average person listening to this podcast needs to worry about, but it is a factor. The type of training you are doing is relevant. The type of stimulus, the type of adaptations you're making, um, in, and in some way, the type of uh, fatigue that you are incurring is gonna also affect the length of the mesocycle. How hard you're training, the If you're not training hard at all, then you're not training hard enough to bring fatigue, and thus you probably never need a deload, and your mesocycle could just go on forever because you're not making gains anyway. How trained or strong you are is a relevant factor. The stronger we are, the stronger somebody is, on average, the more systemic fatigue they're gonna incur per workout just based on how fucking heavy the weights are that they are working. So what you can kind of, you know, kind of uh, deduce from that is if you are relatively new to training, that chances are you can probably withstand longer mesocycles. If you're really advanced powerlifters, really advanced bodybuilders who are just very, very strong, they might find that mesocycle length will shrink a little bit. Now, there are things you can do to the programming to kind of manipulate this, but again, on average, if you're super, super strong, lifting very, very heavy weights, on average, gonna be more systemically fatiguing, and maybe that that mesocycle length will be on the shorter side. Your nutrition status your and your recovery status are both important. Obviously, nutrition plays a part in recovery, so we kind of lump these two together, but if you're in a deficit, it's gonna be a different answer than if you're in a surplus. If you're managing your stress and sleeping well, it's gonna be a different answer than if you're not managing stress, stressed out all the time, not sleeping well, in a deficit. It's like that person's probably not going to be able to withstand the same length of the same program. Now again, you can make adjustments to your programming to kind of keep you within this ballpark depending on a lot of these factors, which probably not gonna talk about today, but I'll keep mentioning it. Then we have individual genetic differences. Uh, this again goes, uh, you know, there are several of which we could talk about maybe a difference in fiber type distribution. People who are more fast twitch dominant are probably gonna you know, take on more fatigue and likely have slightly shorter mesocycles. That's not something that you're gonna know right offhand. Nobody listening to this is like, yeah, I'm definitely more fast twitch dominant, but it is a thing and there are some ways you can kind of come to a conclusion of where you sit on that spectrum, but that's just one way. There's, a, a, yeah, I made a podcast about the differences between men and women. Um, and one of the differences would be recoverability. Women tend to recover a bit quicker, be able to handle more volume, uh, more intensity, and maybe longer mesocycles. Um, and so there are several individual genetic differences of which it's just important to understand that it's going to be different from person to person, even if everything else is the same. That's the main takeaway I want you guys to take from this. And the last one would be just general personal preference. Like you might not enjoy doing the same program for eight straight weeks nine straight weeks, seven straight weeks, six straight weeks. You might get to a point where, you know, psychologically you're not as motivated to train if you're doing the same shit over and over and over again. Now, doing the same shit over and over and over again for at least several weeks is important slash almost necessary for long-term growth. And so you definitely want to be doing that, but you might say, okay, at, at that six week mark is kind of when I'm like, shit, I, just from a mental standpoint, I would enjoy doing something else. We're gonna talk about all those again when it comes down to narrowing it down, and I'll probably go through them all again, at least in that much detail, maybe a little bit more. So that's why there's such a big range because there are so many factors that go into this. It's like someone will DM me and say, hey, how long should my mesocycle be? I'm like, well, how many times are you training? What type of training are you doing? How hard are you training? Uh, how new are you to training? Are you in a deficit? What's your sleep and stress management like? You know, And so you know, what do you enjoy doing? There's gonna be so many factors that, that 
allow us to be a little bit more specific within that range, but it's such a big range because there are so many factors. So we said four to eight weeks is a general recommendation. Why not three? Like why aren't, why did we choose four and not three? I'll start by saying before we talk about why not three and why not nine, there are going to be exceptions to this rule. There are going to be people and scenarios where you do a three week mesocycle and a one week deload, right? And there are going to be scenarios where people can do nine week mesocycles or even longer. Again, it's a general recommendation. And so let's assume you're doing a traditional one week deload at the end of your mesocycle to drop fatigue between mesocycles. That would mean your ratio in this circumstance would be three weeks of training, one week of low stimulative recovery training. You'd have to train pretty damn hard to require a deload after three weeks, right? You'd, I mean, this is a pretty commonsensical thing. If, if you're training for less weeks before a deload, if you're trying to match for stimulus, that those three weeks are gonna have to be uh, comparatively harder. Now, even if you did train so hard that you did need a deload after three weeks, that might not be, and probably for most people, is not the optimal ratio of train to rest or you know work to recovery that we that you'd have available to you, right? You could organize a hellacious three-week mesocycle and then deload. You could fucking kill yourself for three weeks and then you would require a deload. You could be like, see, three weeks is is best for me. Well, three weeks is working for you because you're training so freaking hard that you need that deload. But the question would be, would you do better if you adjusted the overall stimulus of those three weeks and spread it maybe over four to six weeks and then deloaded? Would that give you more gains over time? The answer is probably. Like a three to one split means you're not training in a stimulative fashion about 25% of the time over the long term. And even if you're killing yourself in those three weeks, it's probably likely that you could get better gains with a slightly longer accumulation before that deload, maybe four, five, six, seven weeks and not you know, if I compare somebody who's training really hard for, you know, six weeks and then a deload versus somebody who's training insane balls to the wall, failure, a bunch of drop sets, intensity techniques, killing themselves with a ton of volume for three weeks and then a deload, I'll take the person who was training hard, adequately hard for six weeks and then the deload. Again, there's context though. Again, we talked about people who are extremely, extremely strong and lifting really, really heavy weights. For them to continue to get stronger or build muscle, they, I mean, they have to train insanely hard, uh, the use of extremely heavy loads, and so that might shrink their mesocycle, and if somebody comes to me like, hey, I'm doing a three to one meso, I'm, you know, 220, 12% body fat bodybuilder, and I'm, uh, you know, this is just how hard I have to train to continue to make gains, and thus, fatigue accumulates a little bit more quickly, and I needed to ha have shorter mesocycles. Okay, I, I would buy that on some level for sure. So why not nine? Why do we stop at eight? Again, you know, these are ballpark numbers. So if you told me nine was perfect for you, then great, no problem. But just in general, why do we pick a top number? That's more of the answer uh, question that we're gonna answer. Again, there are exceptions. If you're brand new to training, you probably don't need deloads at all. So I feel like that has to be said. If you're new to training, you probably don't need much training at all to grow. And because you don't need as much training, you probably have way less need for a deload. Um, but I guess that being said, even if you are new to training, that doesn't mean you shouldn't deload. It just generally speaking means you can train for longer and be okay. Again, other exceptions would be if you're training three times a week, you can obviously extend the, de uh, the mesocycle, maybe even just rarely deload. If you're training three days a week, you'd have to have some of those other factors we talked about be going against you for you to really need uh, you know, deloads on the shorter end of the spectrum. It's likely if you're training three days a week and other recovery factors are in check, that you could probably go the full eight weeks, if not longer, and not need a deload. But again, that's because what you're doing is less stimulative and thus less fatiguing, and so less requirement for as frequent deloads. So why not nine, right? 
if you're a relatively trained person, right? So we talked about if you're a newbie that maybe you can go up to eight weeks and beyond, but let's say you're relatively trained. The training that you're gonna have to do to keep growing is going to be freaking hard. Hard enough to bring more gains and thus hard enough to bring fatigue. It's hard enough where you can't do it forever without a deload, right? So eventually you're going to need a deload. Unlike the first example where maybe as a newbie, you, you might not need a deload at all or you just definitely need them less frequency, uh, frequently. So if you're relatively trained, you're training hard enough, your training is going to have to be harder because you have more muscle and strength already. So to, to, to kind of surpass that current level of muscle and strength, the threshold of training goes up and that training would now fall into the category of uh, unlikely to be able to be sustained for nine plus consecutive weeks, right? If you are relatively trained, your training has to be this hard. Um, you have to train with this much volume. You're more neurologically efficient. So you take on more fatigue or more, let's say damage, which is a, is a vague word, but the, the, the more trained you are, the more muscle you have, the more strength you have, the more neurological efficiency, the more you've do, been doing this, the harder your training is going to be at least to a certain point. And it's unlikely that you'll be able to sustain nine consecutive weeks that are beyond that threshold, that are hard enough to cause adaptations without having some signs of overreaching. And we talk about overreaching because the point of ending your mesocycle at some point is so that you don't trend into overreaching and eventually overtraining. Right, the entire point of ending the mesocycle at any point is because fatigue accumulates and we can get into a state of overreaching, which is kind of like a precursor to overtraining. And for me, in my experience with working with many, many people over the years and myself, obviously training for 15 years or so, um, the symptoms of overreaching that most people are going to feel are going to be a disturbance in sleep, uh, chronic DOMS or chronic soreness and more fatigue on average and maybe a low motivation to train. Now, I will say personally, the sleep disturbance has been a one that I do think a lot of people are very cognizant of and can kind of notice. And usually what that is, is due to uh, uh, dysregulated cortisol and your cortisol being chronically elevated. Uh, and what happens is cortisol is, is the hormone. A lot of people think of it as a bad thing. It's not, it's a super important hormone. It's a, it's a fat mobilizing hormone and it wakes you up in the morning. It is what gets you up. And usually that cortisol is peaking between seven and 9 a.m. or something like that. And that's what wakes you up in the morning. So it gets you going. Um, however, when you're in a state of overreaching, you have some of this dysregulated cortisol, you have chronically elevated cortisol. Sometimes you wake up at three o'clock in the morning and you're like, oh, I'm awake. And you'll notice the difference between waking up at three o'clock in the morning and going to the bathroom and going back to sleep with this kind of sleep disturbance where you wake up at three o'clock in the morning and you're like alert and you could like go on with your day. That is, in my opinion, a very tangible, noticeable symptom of overreaching. Obviously, if you're having chronic DOMS and you're not recovering well between workouts, uh, or you just have general low energy slash high fatigue, and I would say another one of them is low motivation to train. Now, this is could be both physiological and psychological. At some point, you've been doing the program for so long that psychologically, you might be less motivated to go in there and do the same shit again for the ninth week, but also physiologically, this low motivation to train is connected to CNS fatigue in some way. And so it's almost like your body is telling you that it's time to take a break. Uh, and so some of those are symptoms of overreaching that you guys can pay attention to. So again, why not nine weeks? If you're not trained or if you're a newbie, you could probably do nine weeks, you could probably do longer, but maybe the monotony is gonna be what kills you. Um, and also just because you don't necessarily need to deload or have a, ha as much need for a deload doesn't mean you shouldn't, uh, you just probably don't have to as often. But if you're relatively trained, your training is going to have to be hard enough to a point where you can't do an infinite 
consecutive amount of weeks hard enough to cause adaptations before reaching or, uh, or getting some of these symptoms of overreaching. Again, just to kind of an underrated reason. I know we, it's fun to talk about the physiological reasons, but man, nine weeks of the same program sounds a bit monotonous to me. Even as somebody who's sitting here, listen, I am the king of, that's a weird way of saying it, but I really do believe that variety is, let's say an upside down U-shaped curve where it's actually not even an upside down U-shaped curve. I'd say more people need to stay on the lower end of variety, which means they don't need to change stuff as, as often, right? Even for somebody who's sitting in that seat, who fully believes that people should keep more things the same than they change on average, I think nine weeks is a little bit much, for, especially for the average person, um, the average gym goer who could really use some mental stimulation you know, every four to eight weeks by just fucking changing it up and doing a different exercise, doing a different technique, a different exercise order, whatever. Um, that can be super useful. So how do we narrow it down within this four to eight? Because that is a wide range, right? We talked about it, it's literally double. Um, so how do I know How do we know it's four weeks, if it's eight weeks, and anywhere in between? And so again, this comes back to all the factors like we discussed, how many weeks, how many times per week am I training? Um, and we're gonna take these individually right now, but if you can understand that they are working together in a matrix to kind of give you an answer, um, we'll get to some general summary and uh, discussion after this. So how many times a week am I training? The less times per week you're training, on average, you could probably go for longer. Duh. What type of training you're doing, it's pretty nuanced. Um, you know, is if it's more mechanically mechanical damage or if it's tension-based hypertrophy or it's mechanical uh, metabolic training, it's gonna change the length of time that you can do it. That's also going to be coming down to the individual because if you're doing metabolic training but you are very metabolically conditioned, then you could probably sustain that for longer. If you're somebody who's doing any metabolic conditioning or any metabolic style training is very new to you, maybe that's an adaptation that you can't do for as long. Um, it also might work vice versa, and so that's something that for a coach to decide. How hard are you training? Are you actually getting close to failure? Obviously, if you're not training as hard, if you feel like you're kind of just going through the motions, you could do, you could go through the motions for an infinite amount of time. I hope that goes without saying. How trained or strong you are, aka newbies can probably go longer and very advanced folk might not find that eight weeks is, uh, eight weeks of truly stimulative, truly hypertrophic training is um, either optimal or sustainable at all without trending into overreaching. Personally, I see some some really advanced people doing like eight, nine, ten week mesocycles, and when I've looked in the into the programming, it it looks like several of those weeks are non stimulative. They're like load like lead in weeks, uh, and so careful when you see some of these like super long mesocycles, whatever. Uh, nutrition status deficit might mean shorter mesocycles unless you adjust programming to reflect the fact that you acknowledge your client is in a deficit, which I think it should uh, at least to a little bit. That doesn't mean you rewrite the playbook and it's totally different training, but I mean, you know, you should probably at least slightly take into account the fact that you're you're in a deficit um, by changing some things about the training. Uh, we want to take into, a uh, into account recovery status, aka how are you taking care of your recovery? Are you sleeping enough, managing stress? Are you eating a balanced nutrition diet, enough fruits and vegetables, um, taking your multivitamins, all that crap? And so what's your recovery like? If your recovery is shit, then that's going to work up the chain and limit the amount of total training you can do and likely limit the amount of consecutive hard weeks of training you can do as well. Again, we have individual genetic differences. Some people, you know, when it comes down to things like fiber type distribution and recoverability, we're gonna have different genetics that might allow us to train for different periods of time without needing a deload. And then we have personal preference. What do you enjoy? Uh, when do you start getting bored? When do you start to see some low motivation to train? Um, you know, for me personally, which we're gonna talk about in a second, it's usually in that four to six week sweet spot. 
And even if I'm not changing a ton of things about the program, sometimes I just need to take a need or prefer to take a step back, assess the program, change one or two things and get back to it. So next question is, should you pre-plan these deloads? Should you pre-plan the length of your mesocycle or should you take it as it comes and kind of assess within the mesocycle during that time when you might want to end things? So again, pre-planning is writing the program with a predetermined endpoint. Auto-regulating is taking the deload when you start to think you need one, aka not pre-planning it. Personally, I prefer pre-planning them for basically everybody. We're not always great at being super objective with our biofeedback or being in tune with our biofeedback whatsoever or even knowing what biofeedback to look for. And so if you don't even know what to look for, you're not really in tune with it and you're not good at objectively kind of assessing how you're feeling, pre-planning that can save you from yourself, essentially. Also, I think for scheduling purposes, it can be helpful. It's nice to know when things start and end to plan your life around. You know, if you're a pro bodybuilder and this is your life or pro power or whatever, auto-regulating might be a good idea for you, which we'll talk about in a second. But if you're kind of living a regular life as a normal person, myself included, for scheduling purposes, I like scheduling deloads during specific times in my life where it matches up with maybe I'm going on a trip or I have a you know uh, a family coming in or something where maybe I don't have as much time to get to the gym. And so sometimes pairing those things together and actually matching and, and for scheduling purposes, it's nice to be able to plan around life. Even if you stop your mesocycle, some people are like, oh, you know, the way I would phrase this is pre-planning inhibits you from getting the absolute maximum of out of your training, let's say. Technically speaking, it does. Because if you stop at six weeks, but you could have done a seventh, then technically over the long term, you miss out on a week of training. Whatever. However, it also stops you from overreaching almost all the time. And so it might stop you from getting the absolute most out of your training, but it also stops you from fucking it up, which if you occasionally get the most out of your training, but you also occasionally fuck it up and overreach, chances are net-net you're getting the same gains or worse than somebody who maybe stops their mesocycle pre-planned a week before they maybe should or could have, let's say. So even, like, even if you stop your mesocycle after six weeks and and you you think at the end of that mesocycle, you're like, you know what, maybe I could have survived another week before overreaching. Like, meh. Like, maybe you could have, but also maybe you would have felt overreaching. And let's say you get some of that sleep disturbance, some of those overreaching symptoms, at some point, sometimes a, a one-week deload just doesn't even cut it. I've been in scenarios where, you know, a week into my deload, I'm still having sleep disturbances. My calories are up, my stress levels are down, but I overreached to a point where a one week didn't cut it. And so, personally, I would rather you err on the cautious side and have really great hard training mesocycles where you never end up feeling like shit than you kind of pushing it and pushing it and pushing it and occasionally going too far where you feel like shit and you have bad night's sleep and you know, maybe get to the point where a one-week deload doesn't even cut it. That said, again, if you're very in tune to your biofeedback, you know what to, to look for, you're very objective with how you feel, and this is something that you can devote some time and emotion to, and you can really assess when those overreaching symptoms come on and you can auto-regulate really well, I think that that's a fine option. There's nothing inherently wrong with this. These are practical recommendations. These are not physiological optimalities. Like you, if you're perfectly in tune with your biofeedback and you know exactly when it's time to pull back and take a deload, then that's great. Go ahead and do that. Um, I do that to some degree, but for me, it's very clear. I have specific mesocycle lengths. I love doing that. I pre-plan my deloads. I pre-plan my mesocycle length, but sometimes depending on the phase of training, depending on maybe nutritional status or acute lifestyle factors, like I'm really stressed out, I have a lot of work, or I got a couple nights of bad sleep for other reasons, mesocycles sometimes get cut short. For me, 
personally, it's the sleep disturbance that becomes very, very clear. You know, I'll wake up between three or four, three and four o'clock in the morning, like three consecutive nights, and I'll be like awake, and I'll I'll toss and turn, and I'll be just straight bug-eyed, alert, uh, and like in this like really tangible fight or flight state. When I know that that happens several nights in a row, I know I'm at least I need to address my recovery. One of those ways you could do that is deloading. So generally, kind of summing things up here for you guys. My take is usually four to six weeks is a sweet spot. You know, I know we said four to eight is the general recommendation. I just think that six to eight mark is probably going to be best for people who are newer to training, um, maybe training less frequently. And, you know, in general, I just feel like I'd rather err on the slightly lower end of things and have people have really, really great hard training mesocycles without ever getting to that that overreaching state. Now there's some discussion of overreaching potentially having a like a, a potentiation, a delayed muscle group uh, growth effect. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe that's something useful in an advanced setting, like purposefully, occasionally overreaching for some potentiation. Uh, but I don't think that 99% of people need to be worried about that. So, like we said, there are no hard and fact, uh, hard and fast rules. There's so many factors. Nine and nine, eight, three and nine week mesocycles can work okay if they're intelligently programmed and if for, and if they are for the right person in the right situation. Four to eight and maybe four to six seems to be the best balance of avoiding monotony and providing enough consecutive weeks of stimulus to make great gains over the long term without pushing so deep into failure that you're flirting with overreaching at the end of every mesocycle. Now, from a deload perspective, you might be thinking, you know, you might be thinking, what is a deload? I have a podcast on deloads. Uh, I believe it's one of the first 10 episodes. And I still stand by almost everything I've said in that deload podcast. I would amend some of them, those statements, not amend some of those statements, but maybe I would add some additional tactics and ways to deload. And so a deload podcast update update will coming be coming in the future, but hopefully this gave you guys a good framework for how long your mesocycle should be and why. All right, I'll see you guys in the next episode. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Where Optimal Meets Practical. If you liked the episode, it would mean the world to me if you posted a screenshot to your social media or left a five-star review on iTunes. That stuff really helps. If you ever want to get in touch with me, just shoot me a DM on Instagram, at Jordan Lips Fitness. I'm always around to chat. Thanks, guys. Have a good one.